Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday, we begin in Alabama and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. And the Music of America podcast continues and concludes the week in Connecticut. We're going to talk with a gentleman named Joel Bloomert in just a moment. In a little known town of Kansas called Tecumseh, you're going to find Monkey House Guitars. Monkey House Guitars is a small made-to-order guitar shop. If you can think it, they can build it. Some of the most beautiful handmade guitars, meticulously designed and crafted for your specifications. Nothing by machine hand-laid frets, everything routed and sanded in the shop at Monkey House Guitars. The Multiverse guitar is singularly one of the most innovative and interesting guitars I've ever seen made, and you can see it being made via photos on Facebook, all from the hands of Luthier Mike Thompson, an amazing Luthier, an amazing artisan. And on a side note, we all know cancer sucks. Well, Mike of Monkey House Guitars has recently felt the touch of what that disease can do to anyone who has a friend or loved one go through the, the rigors and the sorrows of cancer. When thinking about charities to support Mike Thompson, Monkey House Guitars, and the Music of America podcast, please ask you to consider a benefit of some sort or do something to help the American Cancer Society. And please check out monkeyhouseguitars.com. If you can think it, they can build it. And Joe, I'm I'm, I'm going to apologize right out of the gate because I said it's Joe Bloomert, but it's Bloomert, right? Bloomert or Blumert, I don't care either way. What's the heritage? What's the family say? Well, it's a German name. Actually, it means Bloom is flower. Uh huh. Earth is earth. And uh, I grew up, and you know, my father pronounced it Blumert. I corrected people all my life. Always corrected people. <laughs> Look at it; they say Bloomert. And then um, a few years before my father passed away, uh, down in New Jersey visiting with and my sister, and we went to visit my cousin. My father and his brother are sitting there, and they are arguing. Uh, they're they're going at each other, talking very animatedly in, uh, in Yiddish. <laughs> and I asked my sister, I said, what's going on with them? My sister said, oh, they argue all the time. They just argue about everything. I said, what do they argue about? She said, they argue about everything. They argue about how to pronounce our name. This was a revelation to me. I I did not know this. And I uh, I said, what? What's the argument? She says, well, Uncle Joey says because it's a German name, it should be pronounced Bloomer. And Dad says because we're American, it should be Bloomer. And so from that point on, I stopped correcting people. <laughs> and I said, however you want to say it is fine. I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's as long funny. as you spell it right on the check. There you go. <laughs> I like I like when people will send you a name and you have no idea how to pronounce it. You know that they know they spelled it right. And they know looking at it how to pronounce it. But I don't know. You know, I had a guy send me one, right. uh, uh, and the T is silent. The guy's last name, it's like, his last name is like Violetta, but he goes by Viola. How would you know that? You know, <laughs> I don't. It's funny. So tell me about your music background, uh, Joel. You you're in Connecticut. Are you from Connecticut originally, or? No, I'm a I'm a Jersey boy. Yeah, 
um, I, I'm from Plainfield, New Jersey. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, I grew up in the 1950s, uh, uh, hooked on uh, all the uh, singing cowboys and, uh, you know, and, and just was crazy for a guitar from the time I was a little kid, watching Gene Autry and Roy Rogers. And, uh, okay. and then uh, there, was this, there was this guy that I always saw playing guitar in all these groups in the movies that I later found out when I grew up was Les Paul playing in all these <laughs> uh, combos. <laughs> And I and uh, in 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 the New York metropolitan area in North Jersey, back in the fifties, there was a, uh, I think it was daily, it was at least weekly, but there was a uh, ten or fifteen minute uh, afternoon show of Les Paul and Mary Fort. Uh, now I remember they did a radio show. They did a TV show too. Yeah, they did a TV show. Oh, okay, and uh, Les Paul also recorded uh, uh, back then. Also recorded commercials for uh, regional businesses uh-huh. uh anyway so you know just just got hooked on guitar and then in the 60s the uh, folk revival came along and so when i was 14 i i started playing and um 60 years later and many guitars <laughs> later i uh you know i'm still doing it uh you know i played through college and all that and i was uh playing clubs in the 70s and i stopped for a long time and 13 13 14 years ago i had was coming to the end of uh, eight years of trying to rebuild a massage practice that had had kind of died on me i decided one day that i could be broke being a musician just as easily <laughs> as uh, as trying to rebuild my massage practice it would be a lot easier on my body and i'd be a lot happier so i decided to go back to playing I knew that I didn't want to play bars. Uh, I never drank, and I don't like being around alcohol. So I finally, in the 2000s, I took the advice of my friend, a brilliant musician named Bill Wallach, who had told me back in the 1970s that I should try nursing homes. (laughs) That's so bizarre. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and um you know and i you know i don't listen to people so uh, you know people, people tell me things that are probably that i probably should listen to and i just go oh yeah okay sure but i decided to finally try nursing homes and then my first two years of playing nursing homes i was playing 225 230 gigs a year wow and um uh, making a living playing you know making a small living making playing music for for the first time so anyway now i mean i'm 74 now and uh, so i play about 125 gigs a year and i play nursing homes just nursing homes you don't do uh don't go out you don't do wineries you don't do festivals you don't do the bar scene i do uh i do the occasional winery or brew pub uh i'm trying to get some uh some regional brew pub brew pub things now uh-huh. Uh, to cut down on my my traveling, and there are quite a few, um, quite a few within you know forty five minutes of where I live. You know, I can't do the occasional farmers market. Um, those are big. Those yeah. are big. Like yeah. fairs, farmers markets, uh, art shows, things like that. Those are those are huge for a guy like you. I would think. Yeah. I mean, if I'm, I can get them, yeah. You know, if I can get them, it's uh, you know they're occasional at this point. I'd like to do more of them. Okay. I would like to do more. Yeah. Farmers markets are once a week and they're usually booked a year or two or five in advance, right? Yeah. And I, I was doing a couple 
locally they don't they generally don't pay very well but i just figure it's a it's a way for me to uh to just do something to uh, support community supported agriculture so i want to talk about country western music because that's what it used to be called country western right and they've dropped the western and i don't know when that happened i was working in country radio back in the 80s late Uh 70s and i remember marshall tucker had a song called the last of the singing cowboys and there was another one uh this is the last cowboy song and i got thinking just a few maybe two or three years ago there's always a like every art form is always looking to fill or refill a niche, right? Yeah. Why don't we bring Western back into country and bring back (laughs) cowboy music and bring back singing songs to the cattle out on the prairie? What would some inspiration be about that? I go forward with it. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. I like, I mean, there are some, you know, a few years ago, there were, there were a a few groups back in the, Oh God, the seventies and eighties that were, that had revived, uh, western swing yeah. you know sleep at the wheel and uh, there was a fantastic group that recorded two albums for rounder records called cowboy jazz really oh, fun. yeah if and the the front the front people of the group were these three women kate bennett uh denise somebody was a fiddler and uh i'm trying to remember trying to remember the the other uh but they anyway the two albums they did on Rounder Records back in the uh, back in the eighties. So I used to play them. I played them to death on my radio show. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And Cowboy Jazz, they were fantastic. That's so. Um, but I love. I mean, I love Western Swing. You know, yeah. that's that's w- one of the things that I would love to be able to do if I was going to. I've sort of given up at this point <laughs> on finding <laughs> a band. You know, creating a band, and I yeah. got. I got rid of my. I got rid of having a PA system, and I'm down to a, a little, tiny, uh, you know, uh, Fishman amp. That, and I, I have I have like three or four amps that all just have, two channels, <laughs> one for vocal and one for guitar, you know. And and that's yeah. what I use now. I've been looking for like a good portable PA, and everybody wants like an arm and a leg for something that's way too much for what I want to do, you know. It sounds like you're looking for multiple too. channels or no, not just something for a, a mic and a guitar, you know, like you're saying, you know, a boss makes great one two a couple of great ones. Fishman makes the loud box uh, and they make a couple of models. Um, they make three different models. Um, and I just bought uh, and uh, Roland makes some really good ones. Uh, and uh, I, I was using a Roland BA 330. For a while, that's uh, that will run for 16 hours on eight AA batteries. Wow, that's and it is it is an unbelievably loud 30 watts. Huh. It's 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 an amazing, but it's a little bulky for me. So I'm now down to the Fishman, which is very compact, and for doing uh, outdoor stuff like busking, I found uh, uh, the, a British company called Laney, L-A-N-E-Y. Uh-huh. They make this thing called the A Fresco, which is a 60 watt little box that also runs on eight AA batteries. That's something. I mean, you have so much flexibility on batteries then because you don't have to just play within yeah. six feet of a plug, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the, this. Um, it's funny because, you know, back in the, I remember back in the 1970s, um, I was playing with a trio and I was playing 
uh, Connecticut clubs. And um, I had a I had this Ames PA system, and the the um, the the power head that had these two huge vacuum tubes in it, and uh, it had uh, it was about I don't know twenty four inches wide and about eight inches high and about ten inches deep, and I had two four foot speaker columns that each had four ten inch speakers in it. And wow. it was 85, <laughs> it was 85 Watts. And I had to get my first car to carry around my PA. And I remember talking to sound engineers. I, I knew back then because the, uh, that was right around then that radio shack had come out with the minimus speakers, the little tiny bookshelf speakers. They were seven inches high or something like that. Okay. And they were, they were, the, they were a really major advance in, in uh, bookshelf speakers. And I, kept asking all these sound people I knew, how could I make a sound system with a pair of those? You know, nobody really had an answer for me. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so over the years, you know, almost as bad as with guitars, I've got, I've gotten down smaller and it, every time something smaller and more compact and more effective came out that, you know, I went to it. And so now I'm down about as small as it can go. I remember being at a club watching a band play and their whole PA system was a Bose column. Right. And I was just blown away at how much quality, good sound you got out of something. that was about six foot tall and maybe what, eight inches in diameter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just blew me away. Let's talk about you okay. and your songwriting. Tawny is the first Tawny. thing I want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. Where'd that come from? That was, I, that was written for an ex-girlfriend woman I lived with in California back in the uh, 70s. And she grew up in uh, Barstow, California, out in the desert. And um, she was a rodeo queen and a barrel racing champion. And uh, she she raised horses and she every year she would go up to a friend's ranch up in Idaho and she would get paid $20 per colt to green break and halter break colts. She was her her life revolved around horses. Her therapy for herself when she was growing up in 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 the Mojave Desert was she would ride and she had this uh, uh, Arab that she named Gandhi. Well, she okay. pronounced it Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> she pronounced it Gandhi, and she said it's, that was her favorite horse. She would get on him and point him in one direction, and he would just run. And he oh. would just run. Wow. And then when she was when she, when she'd gone as far as she wanted to go, she'd stop him, she'd turn him around, and he'd run all the way back. And she had lived, uh, she had been in the she had been in the club scene in LA and, and all that stuff. So all of that, you know, stuff is in the song. We live together in Santa Barbara. So that forms the backdrop of the song. I actually I did that with a group, a trio that I played with in, in the 70s. And we, it was faster. It was, uh, it was in a, it was in a different key. And when I went to, uh, when I decided to record it, I, I slowed it down and I changed the key. And I, I, it's one of those uh, bits that I'm, you know, I kind of, I kind of really like my guitar plot, my guitar part on that. Uh-huh. I wanted a harmonica on it too, and I found this guy Bob Hennessy, who, whom I, I still know and. I 
play with occasionally, brilliant jazz harmonica player, brought him into the studio and uh, I, I had sent him a tape of it and he did one test track and then he just went through it and he plays wow. all this plays all this incredible jazz harmonica on it that just works beautifully. Let's give it a listen. All right. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to get your name. I'm going to say it both ways. So <laughs> we're talking okay. with Joe Blummert or Blumert, depending on which father or uncle you're talking to, correct? Right. Right. <laughs> Music of America podcast continues. And we're going to listen to a song called 20. Look up on the 
Song called Tawny, the Music of America podcast continues. I'm your host, Tom Pollard, and we'll be back to our guest, Joe Blumert, or Blumert. Did I say Joe? I'm sorry, Joel. Yeah, it's Joel. Joel. It's okay. Okay. That's uh, one thing. I'm still correcting people. That's right. <laughs> well, at least I'm, mine's easy. It's Tom. People don't call me Tim, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll be back, and we'll talk to Joel in a moment. Uh, bass players, the bag is a high-quality leather gig bag family of products that are handmade in the USA with the finest craftsmanship, beautiful, sophisticated, and very cool overall appearance. They're made of some of the finest quality leather and cushion available and meant to last you a lifetime, literally. They've been in business 30 years in the leather industry, and they are extremely proud to introduce this whole line of gig bags called The Bag targeted not just to the skilled professional, but also to, you know, fun-seeking novice, kind of like me on the base. The hope is that you're going to love the gig bags and the bag as much as they do. The bag from Tony Vaughn Base Bags, www.tonyvaughn.com. See, I'm not going to make this mistake again, Joel. So, Ah, okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, we were talking about cowboy music. You know, and then a, a renovation of that. And this next song called Wyoming conjured up the image of, uh, what's the number on a blank? The Kevin Costner TV show that's on right now. I can't think of the name of it. That All one. I can think of is an old TV Western with John Smith and Robert Fuller called Laramie. Laramie. Oh, my gosh. You remember Laramie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 74. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. So I'm I'm but a babe then. I'm only 67. <laughs> uh. But it made me think about that. And uh, when you're talking, I guess, about your the barrel rider rodeo gal and rodeo and out west and maybe that TV show, because it's got such popularity, maybe that could be the springboard springboard for more Western driven songs. And I thought of Wyoming about that. And uh, so let's 
I wanted to say that before I forget that. So let's address that in a moment. But I want to get a little history on you. Okay. Okay. So you grew up in Jersey. How did you get into music? What was your, what was your first style? What what path got you to where you are here? Like your musical path. What was that? Well, pretty convoluted. I mean, when I was a kid, I was seriously. In, my mother was an opera singer. Yeah, my my mother was a, a really really exceptional uh, soprano. Mm-hmm. She had been auditioning. She had been auditioning with uh, for Broadway shows and with different companies for years. And when I was about seven years old, she finally got her break. She was offered a three-year world tour with the New York-based opera company to understudy all of the soprano roles. That's huge. That yeah, that was her. That was her. Her break finally came, and she. Uh, she said to my father, she said, I don't know what to do well, if I, he said, well, you know, take it if you want it. She said, well, who's going to take care of the children? And he said, well, I will. And she said, she told me later when I was in college, I talked to her about it. She said, she just looked at her kids and she said, I can't do it. Yeah. My house was, uh, it, it was just really, I grew up, basically uh, around uh, classical music and and opera and i really thought when i was a little kid that i wanted to be an opera singer and then that all switched i got into junior high school and i f- found my uncle's big band jazz collection i started listening to that so i got into crooners okay and i was listening to uh i, I was listening to all the 40s crooners and i didn't listen to a lot of sinatra and uh um singers that were coming out back then like jack jones and uh right. ed ames oh. jim neighbors had a beautiful voice yeah but uh, might have been a little later though i guess his his whole his whole thing was a little corny for me but singers like brooke benton you know and then I, at the same time i started listening to uh uh rock and roll radio at least i used to listen to the wkbw coming out of uh new york and that's when I found WWVA in Wheeling, West Virginia. <laughs> oh, okay. And I, I just listened to, I basically just listened to everything. And then I started playing guitar when I was 14. Started out with uh, traditional traditional ballads and uh, and then all the folk stuff that was coming out. And Dylan and mm-hmm. uh, I was crazy for Phil Oaks and uh, old time music and bluegrass and and went to uh, I went to a few Newport folk festivals, and I also when I was fourteen, I I discovered Brown and McGee and Sonny Terry, started listening to blues, and I started listening to Delta blues, and I, you know it's always been pretty eclectic. Yeah, I mean those go so hand in hand so much though the blues and country they influence each other a lot, and there's you take the twang out of country, you got a blues song. Well, um, there's a lot of interchange in that. There are a lot of hardcore. Uh, country fans who don't know that Mother Maybell Carter learned her finger picking from a black neighbor. <laughs> I didn't and, know that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, a local black uh, musician who uh, who uh, uh, influenced uh, Maybell Carter's picking at Newport Folk Festival. I think it was sixteen sixty nine. The Everly Brothers were there. They had just reunited and they were doing this Las Vegas act that was really, I, I thought it was pretty tacky. But <laughs> and, and I was kind of disappointed because I love the Everly's. 
but the thing one of the one of the real turning points for me was uh, in terms of my guitar playing was when the Everly Brothers were at Newport, they brought out their father, whom I was not aware of. But Ike Everly was an uh, early star of the Grand Ole Opry, and he was a killer fingerstyle guitar player. Wow. He played all those old parlor rags, and, and I, when I heard... When I heard Ike Everly play, I just sat there with my mouth open and I, he finished playing and I just said, I want to do that. Yeah. How <laughs> oh, cool. And that led me to, that led me to the ragtime players uh, of the twenties and thirties, uh, Blind Blake and uh, Big Bill Brunzi and, you know, and, and then there's, there's all those great country players too. I mean, yeah, Chet Atkins is the obvious one, Jerry right. Reed. There's a guy I listen to now and watch on on YouTube, Scotty Anderson, who's one of the world's killer guitar players. And yeah. I also listen to a lot of jazz. I listen to a lot of jazz players too. Well, you said you had an eclectic taste, and you you read a lot of blues, opera, yeah. country, and and jazz. It doesn't surprise me. Folk music of the '60s and '70s at all that all fits with somebody that you've got such a diverse background. You seem to have settled though, on not settled, landed better word you have landed on country music as like your place right well no i do a, i do a um i do a pretty eclectic mix like when i started doing the nursing homes uh, 13 or 14 years ago because of the the average age of the people in nursing homes i decided to focus on uh, american songbook jazz okay so i was doing uh, gus khan fats waller gershwin and over the last 13 years, you know, there are lots more people my own age. And so I'm, I'm, I've added in, I'm doing like my typical performances now. I do some Loggins in Messina and occasionally Grateful Dead. And, uh, and I do uh, like a Marty Robbins tune and Tennessee Ernie Ford wow. and uh, Guy Mitchell. And uh, I have my favorite Cajun musician is Wayne Toops. Um, and I do a Wayne Toops song. Yeah. Wayne Toops. If you haven't heard Wayne Toops, anyone out there who hasn't heard Wayne Toops, you got to hear Wayne Toops and Zyda Cajun. Right now. Greatest, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, the greatest Zydeco accordion player. Yeah. T O U P S, Wayne Toops. Okay. And his band is called Zyda Cajun. What's the the biggest band you played with? The biggest ensemble, ensemble, I guess. um, In terms of working, I had I was with a trio for a couple of years back in the seventies, um, and we were called Off the Wall. It was just me and a, a bass player who also switched off on guitar, and a woman named Barbara White, who lives in um, she lives in New Hampshire. She lives right near Manadnock. We had this really really nice trio that, and our our biggest gig was playing for about ten thousand people at was Southampton college in uh, long island we opened for the david bromberg band and yeah that was the biggest concert i ever played and i had a 12 string we did steve stills bluebird and i i um i had a i i played 12 string guitar exclusively and uh i had a 12 string guitar solo in uh, steve stills bluebird and i got a standing ovation in this gym full of you know, like thousands of people. That yeah, was it. That was that's cool. pretty. That's pretty <laughs> exciting. That's fun. Yeah, but that's the biggest thing. That, yeah. that was the biggest one. 
and that was a long time ago. And I've played occasional uh, outdoor concerts. The, the other, the only one, I've, the only big one I've done since that, uh, in 2005, I won the Connecticut Blues Society Solo Duo Challenge. And that sent me to uh, the International Blues Challenge in Memphis uh-huh. uh, as a finalist. Someone, from, a guy named Doug Rapier, who's the head of the Blue Society on Taiwan, heard me. It it took some it took some maneuvering, but I went to Taiwan for a month as the guest of an arts organization uh, called the Dream Community, and I spent a month in Taiwan and I played Taiwan Blues Bash Three. Wow! <laughs> oh, I want I want to uh, just take advantage of of this opportunity every place i've ever been i have met musicians as good as or better than any of the famous musicians i've ever heard there are great players in local scenes all over the place and you know and some of them never get out of their houses you know absolutely you know when I moved, I'm, I'm in Burlington now. When I moved here from St. Louis, the music scene in Burlington, Vermont, I tell people this all the time, just blows me away how right. incredibly talented these people are. And all they have to, quote, show for it is fish, you know? And, right. I mean, there's other musicians that have had, like, good regional success, maybe even some national success. And uh, But the, just the, the day in, day out moving of people from this club to that club and so on and so forth. We used to work pre-COVID. We used to walk a route just to hit all the clubs in Burlington to see all the different music. And it's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm finding that all throughout the Northeast, though. Two men in my life who I consider my best friends. One lives in Boston. The other uh, is in Connecticut. And I met him in college. We started playing music together. His name is Bob Orsi. And um, he, uh, he plays harmonica on most of the blues tracks on my CDs. Okay. A uh, great blues harp player, incredible vocalist and front man. And he was, he's been a front man for quite a few regional, regionally successful uh, bands, including a, a fairly successful uh, uh, 80s new wave band called the Scratch Band that okay. spawned uh, G.E. Smith, who went on to Saturday Night Live. Right. He was the lead guitar player in the band, he was the second lead guitar player. Christine Ullman was uh, was also in that band. Uh, Paul Asola and uh, Mickey Curry, who went on to play with Hall and Oates, um, and Bob is is arguably uh, the most talented of the group <laughs> uh-huh. to me. Yeah, and uh, he's been the he's been the front man and lead singer for the D Smith Blues Project in Connecticut for quite a few years, and for the last few years fronting a group called the Mighty Soul Drivers. And these guys are all in their 60s and 70s. They've been around the Connecticut scene for decades. And last year, they got themselves a publicist. And now their first CD is on the charts all over the place. And they're playing big festivals. And they're finally getting out. All in their 60s and 70s, all finally enjoying some uh you know some notoriety and that's, that's cool. so to just dial that back a little bit that's true everywhere you know 
I think that's just true everywhere. There's just great mean? people around. Oh, that yeah. Oh, yeah. So much great talent. Uh, this show, this podcast has really uh, been a blessing to me because I'm in these little towns all over the country. I never realized how great the music is in Alaska, you know, for example. Oh, and yeah, uh, uh, there's a, uh, a if I say one, I'll forget the other four, you know, and I don't want to. Yeah. But, but uh, just the music that, that I'm finding from everywhere, whether it's this little town in Mississippi or New York City, you know, the talent yeah. that we're running into just it's a, it's mind boggling. Really. And in every kind of music. Every kind of music, exactly. I had a klezmer, yeah. a klezmer band on. Oh, cool! Uh, and uh, they were just this guy is from Argentina, and he's just got so much passion. He's just going on, and his band was featured in the Wedding Crashers doing the Havana Gila. It's so funny. Gustavo was his name. Gustavo Bulgach was his name. Just incredible talent, and uh, I never heard of him before this. Of course, I never heard a lot of things anyway. But <laughs> this show you is can't open. Keep to- up with. You can't, there's too much going on. Can't keep up with it all. Absolutely. Well, we're getting away from your music and I'm going to talk back again. Now I'm going to try and bring this back to Wyoming. Because the image and Yellowstone is the name of the TV show. I was trying to think Yellowstone. Yellowstone. That's why I thought that Yellowstone, Wyoming and Montana and the mountains and horses, it's, it's popular again. And that I was watching an episode. And one of the guys plays guitar. One of the the minor characters is a singer-songwriter playing country music, and he's singing ballads and stuff. I'm like, boy, this would be a great place for a, this is the last cowboy song. And yeah. I got thinking about cowboy music again. Immediately when I saw the title, Wyoming, I said, I got to listen to this. Okay. So why well, Wyoming? Yeah, 1971, when I dropped out of school for the second time, uh, dropped out of college. I hitchhiked from Newington, Connecticut, the Berlin Turnpike, to San Francisco in four and a half days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, when I got to the, uh, I, I, I don't have the borders and the highways, but I, I took Route 80 most of the way. Um, and I had a lot of long rides. And this guy took me through Wyoming. And I was just blown away by the rolling plains and the sky was so incredibly blue with these puffy white clouds blowing around. Yeah. And um, I got to my friend's apartment in San Francisco. I remember on Fell Street in San Francisco and, uh, you know, talked for a while. I said, I am, I am exhausted. I just need a place to lie down. So he showed me a, he had a mattress over on the corner I fell asleep. I slept for about 15 hours. I got up and I wrote the uh, the first two verses to Wyoming. And that's all there was to the song. And then quite a, and I used to do that with my, the trio that I played with. When it came time when I decided to record it, I was playing it and I said, um, it's not long enough. So I wrote the bridge and uh, the third verse. Yeah. And that's the way it is on that's the way it is on the CD. The main guitar on that track is is uh is an emerald carbon fiber 10 string guitar, custom 10 string guitar. A 10 string. Um, never heard of that. 
Yeah, well, it's it's like a 12-string, but the two highest strings are single instead of double courses. Okay. Okay. Actually, I, I'm selling it right now. <laughs> I'm selling that guitar, everybody. That's funny because I just bought, I've got a 12-string in St. Louis. I don't have one up here. And when I was restringing one I bought up here, one of the high E strings broke on me. So I have an 11 string. Now. You have an 11 string. Okay. <laughs> and the, uh, I, I want I, the, uh, my friend Bev Kosak plays mandolin on that. My, another friend, Diane Davis overdubbed the bass afterwards. Again, my friend, Barbara White who lives in Vermont from my old trio days. And another friend that goes back with me to this, uh, Hartford, Connecticut folk scene in the sixties, Gene McMillan, they do the, uh, the background vocals, which uh -huh. are just really, and they also, yeah, they do the background vocals on uh, can't get that stuff no more. Also. We'll get to that in a minute, but right now, yeah, okay. right now we're going to do Wyoming. So our, our guest today, Joel Blumert. Yes. <laughs> Blumert from uh, Salisbury, Connecticut. And this song is called Wyoming. Coming through Wyoming, mountains covered with snow, white clouds hanging in an endless sky, those shadows on the plains below. Three days to come out to this desert, I've got a thousand miles to go. I'll worry about tomorrow when it comes around, cause the day is all I know. East Wyoming was green and cold, going west got desert and dry. Swore to myself, riding that highway, I never saw so much sky. She's a hard old land, and before the roads, she must have watched a lot of men die. But she's in my blood, and I'm going back again, though I couldn't tell you.
Wyoming with Joel Blumert, Blumert from Salisbury, Connecticut on the Music of America podcast. We'll come back and talk with Joel in a second. We were talking briefly about mandolins, octave mandolins. Joe Mendel's signature piece of art gives you that sweet tone that's somewhere between a mandolin and a guitar. It has that mandolin punch while delivering the sustain and range of a guitar. And he builds them for your specifications. You may prefer the Adirondack top to the Sitka, maybe the black walnut, mahogany, rosewood, or maple. You select the wood. You select the style. And Joe will make it for you. You make your very own octave mandolin, impart flavor of their own special tone. I call them Mendel's Mandos. He calls it the octave mandolin at joemendelsfrets.com. When I saw the title of this last song called Can't Get That Stuff No More, my imagination just went all over the place. It's an old tune. Oh, it it's is an old tune. Yeah, it's but, an old tune, but it was recorded by um, a great blues player named Tampa Red. Tampa Red. Um, okay. Yeah, Tampa Red was recorded back in the '30s, and there have been a couple of uh, recent popular recordings of it that have been featured on uh, some of our regional radio stations. I, personally, I think mine is better. <laughs> 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 That's one of the tracks that that I'm, you know, really happy with and really proud, really proud of. Who plays with you on this, or is it just you? The bass player again is Diane Davis. Actually, I can't remember if my friend Bev plays uh, mandolin on it, but I do. Uh, I do the guitars. Okay. The the basic guitar track again is the is the ten string emerald. I overdubbed the uh, lead guitar parts. The same two women, uh, Gene McMillan and Barbara White, came into the studio, and they they listened to they listened to it. Uh, it took them about five minutes, seven minutes to come up with a vocal arrangement, and they <laughs> nailed it in uh, two tries. That's so cool when you've got that kind of talent that you can work with they just come in and say yeah i'll just do this and then just that's the way i like to do things i'm getting ready to finally do a, a third cd that's going to be all originals oh really uh, i realized i've probably written about 50 or 60 songs over the years uh -huh. and some of them i wouldn't do for anybody <laughs> they <they're>, they <laughs> just they they just don't work but as i went back through my my books of lyrics and i looked at stuff I just realized that, you know, some of them are are actually pretty good songs. I don't have the resources for doing, you know, like a big album again. So there's a uh, a local uh, combination studio and, and music center called The Music Lab in Canaan, Connecticut. They're on uh, YouTube. I'm just going to go in and sit down with a couple of mics and I'm going to just do a CD. I'm probably going to I have I've put together about 30 songs that I'm going to do. That'll be and fun. Finally get them recorded. That'll be fun, but that'll be tough. 30 songs. Yeah. Nah, not in one sitting. You can do them like two or three at a time. Okay. One of them is, 
is a really good country song that no country station will ever play. <laughs> um, because, because of it's the a, lyrics, because of the title. Yeah, because of the because of the lyrics. It's a song that really it's really an anti drinking song. It's a song about al alcoholism. Oh, okay. And how it destroyed a family. Yeah, yeah, maybe that maybe that won't go over too well in a country song. But so let's hear this one. This was like Tampa Red. Is that what you said? Tampa Red did this one. Tampa Red was a he had a long career, fantastic slide guitar player, among other things. Well, we're going to hear your version of it, and then later I'm going to Google Tampa Red. I'm going to see if I can find him on Spotify so I can listen to the comparison. <laughs> okay. But for right now, we're with Joel Blumert. Blumert. And we're going to hear his version of Can't Get That Stuff No More. Bootleg Sally used to live cross town. Now the law went and they closed the down. And you can't get that stuff no more. You can't get that stuff no more. No matter how you try, you just can't buy it. Can't get the stuff no more. You know that place up on Dago Hill. The law took the man and the liquor still. And you can't get the stuff no more. You can't get that stuff no more. No matter how you try, you just can't buy. You can't get that stuff no more. You can't get the stuff no more. No matter how you try, you just can't buy. You can't get that stuff no
Can't get that stuff no more with Joel Blumert or Blumert from Salisbury, Connecticut. And before we say goodbye, Joel, this is the section where we ask you to shamelessly self-promote. So you said you've got a CD coming out. So when that's out, where will we find it? Where will we be able to buy it? And where are you playing from September on where people can come see you if they want to? Well, that's not um, a nursing home. <laughs> yeah. As far as the next CD, I haven't started that project yet. I'm hoping to start it in the next few months. I would direct people to um, everything that I do is going to be under my name up on uh, on YouTube. Okay, I have a bunch of stuff up there now. Some of it you can find on the the Music Lab in Connecticut, okay. uh, which they have their own YouTube channel. You can find you just look me up by name on YouTube, and there's a bunch of stuff on there. A lot of the tracks from uh, my two CDs are on um, the Music Lab in Canaan. There's a bunch of stuff, some my live performances, Infinity Music Hall. There's a couple of those on um, on YouTube. Yeah, and some of my stuff from Steam Vent Coffee House. Steam, Steam Vent, Vent Coffee, Coffee House. House. Okay. Yeah, there. That's a church coffee house and. Winstead, Connecticut, and uh, they record all their programs. And uh, I have a bunch of stuff on there playing with some some really good people. Before we go, I have to ask this of all my Connecticut guests because my son-in-law is from Westport. So I don't know the state. I just know that there's a state called Connecticut, and I've been to Westport twice. Where are you in reference to Westport? Far away. Westport is uh, southwest Connecticut. It's, okay. the, it's, it's on the Gold Coast. Salisbury, where I live, is the only town in Connecticut that borders New York and Massachusetts. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's uh and we have we have a mountain here that sits on the uh Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York border called Mount Frissel. And you climb Mount Frissel and there's a marker where the three states come together so you can put one foot straddling uh Connecticut and New York and the other foot straddling Connecticut, Massachusetts. You can be in three states at once. You can stand in three states at once. And if you're like me, then the state of confusion, you'll be in four states at once. Four states at once. That works. Joel, thank you so much. Thank you. Our guest has been Joel Blumert or Blumert, depending on how you prefer to pronounce it, from Salisbury, Connecticut. And this concludes our week and our visit to Connecticut. Up next, we're going to Delaware. Okay, that was fun.
You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.